Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio here. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. It's Farmer Friday. Brian, you ready to dive into the mailbag right off the bat to start this thing off? Uh, Yeah, let's do it. It's the mailbag! All right, uh... Question comment here from Jimmy. He said, guys, you're talking about nutrient movement in the soil. And I'm wondering, isn't that the reason why we're no-till planting into terminated cover crops? Trying to get nutrients to, to move down, have the cover crop push things down? Well, I mean, let's think about it logically. When a plant cannibalizes itself, where does that plant take its energy? Which basically means a lot of its nutrients. Are some going to be left in the ground? Sure, but not the majority. So, I, I mean, you can try that. Are you going to, Are is it going to be anything significant? I really don't think so. No. So, uh, our suggestion, uh, there are a lot of people that say, okay, I want to go no-till. All right, well, just before you go no-till, let's fix the compaction issues. Let's put some fertilizer down deep and do some of the things that we didn't do prior to us going no-till on some acres about 25 years ago. And in hindsight, I wish we would have because that's your chance. So, but yeah, to think that, oh, we're going to move a whole bunch of stuff way down deep in the soil with cover crops, I seriously doubt that's ever going to happen. And Oh, and part of the reason why I say that, too, is because we get soil tests all the time and deep soil tests even from people. And I don't care what crop it is they're raising. The deep soil has almost nothing for nutrients. Okay. Uh, I get this question. It came in from Matt. He is in central Pennsylvania. He said, I'm shooting for 60 bushel soybeans. What would you guys think? This is a zone sampled field. And I guess when you look at 60 bushel soybeans, you, you just need to remove 72 pounds of K2O potassium, 44 pounds of P2O5 phosphate, but you need to pull out of the ground 132 pounds of K2O, K2O potassium and 60 pounds of phosphate. So there's quite a bit of removal that happens trying to get higher yielding soybeans. Is this irrigated? Uh, it says central Pennsylvania. That's all he says. He doesn't say irrigation, so I'm guessing no. Okay, well, the reason why, it's four to six cation exchange capacity. You'll never get 60 bushel soybeans consistently without irrigation. If you get the right rains in a given year, is that possible? Absolutely it is. But there's just flat out not but nearly enough irrigation, potassium. If you've got irrigation on sand, you should be shooting for 100 bushel beans. And you should be putting K on every single time you go across that field of sand. So that's, that's part of the problem here is... It just won't hold a lot of K long term, so you're going to have to spoon feed a little bit, not as much as we would talk about nitrate or sulfur or anything like that, but I'd be putting on potassium once mid-season in addition to early season, but I mean, he's got as low as 59 parts per million of potassium, so that's just, it's simply not enough K. And in terms of phosphorus, you need more phosphorus as well. You're down to as low as 19 parts per million on a P1 phosphorus test. So, I mean, if the plant miraculously took every drop of phosphorus out of your soil, it's possible. But, I mean, you and I both know that's never going to happen. So, yeah, I'm fertilizing with P and K and sulfur and zinc and copper and boron if I want 60 bushel beans. So, that's what I do. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, this one comes in from Lane, and Lane said, guys, my big question here, lots of soil tests for you, is trying to figure out why our pH is high. It's well-drained ground, we've got tile, and it is irrigated. 
So just curious what you think. Now, as soon as he said irrigated, irrigated. I thought, ooh, yep. I wonder what that water quality test yep. is. That's something you can run, Lane, because let's just say, for example, your pH of your water was in the eights, then that is definitely going to bring your pH up. But the other thing I noticed was we've got higher magnesium than we'd like right. to. We're up yeah, in the 20s higher. on mag. So you could use some sulfur and try and push some of that mag out, and you might be happy with the results. Here's the other thing. This, this crown is really variable. Um, in terms of cation exchange capacity, it's five, as low as 5.9 to as high as 30. So the, the management zones, you, just, you have to manage that differently in those different areas. Well, it's just like the last question we were answering. Boy, if it's pure sand like that, that 5.9 that you've got, um, you can't hold much stuff and you have to continue spoon feeding. Whereas if you're at 30 for cation exchange capacity, you can hold everything you need for the next 25 years for P and K. If I'm not saying you do that, but I'm just saying it's not, it's never going anywhere. So anyway, I, I guess that's one of the big things, but why is the pH high? Yeah. Magne excess magnesium is part of it. And, and Darren's absolutely right. If your water is high in pH or high in other things you don't want necessarily. Like sodium. That could be, right. That could be what driving is, What is the out. soda? Is there any sodium in some of that? That's what I was just looking for. I don't... I don't know if they uh, measured that. On yeah, I don't see sodium measures. here. And that's one of the big things that can drive it, drive there pH can't, up. And there can't also, be much sodium because many of those pHs are in the sevens, right? Mid sevens. Not necessarily. There, there could be. And I, I just put it this way. Anytime you have irrigation, your soil test absolutely should have a sodium reading because that's one of the biggest things that, number one, pushes pH up, and number two, pushes yields down if you get excessive. Okay. Uh, another question here that came in uh, from Tom, and he said, Guys, I've got a friend who is afraid of using the three pre's in soybeans. Here's his concern. He says he's too scared because... You have to be at a certain planting depth to keep your seed from being hurt, given oh, yeah. the old planter uh, that he has depths vary, so he's planning nope. on spraying post. And then no. he said, I'm just wondering, is that true? Nope. And are there any of these pre's that would be easier on the seed if that was true? Uh, did he say he was incorporating it or not? Nope, didn't say. Didn't say either way. Okay, so no, that's absolutely not true. So I don't care what your planter is. Um, you plant your beans one to one and a half inches deep, you're going to be just fine. So you got trifluralin, you got a PPO, that's either Valor Authority, and then you got Metribuzin. Now, I'm not going to say that a, a big concentration of any of those wouldn't kill any seed out there. Uh, of course. I, I mean, the dose always makes the poison. But if you just apply it like you should, so I don't care if it's pre, it's pre-plant incorporated, either way, you're going to be just fine. That's, that's not going to hurt anything. So, yeah, honestly, I... I haven't had that question because um, we talk about the safety of these things all the time. Now, could there be a little stunting? Yeah, but there's very, very low probability. Stay tuned to be right back. There's no time to mess around when it comes to early season protection from yield-robbing pests and diseases. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is the next generation of at-plant protection. Through your liquid fertilizer system, get broad-spectrum defense and create an environment where seedlings can vigorously emerge with more uniformity, helping to optimize your productivity and yield. Get serious seedling defense with Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. 
And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new battalion amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, thanks for joining us today. We're going to be taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. we got phone lines open right now if you want to call in. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. And we've got a few questions, Brian, that we haven't got to yet this week that we're going to try and get through as well. Um, let's start off over in Illinois. got Kenny with us right now. And uh, Kenny, how you doing? Doing real well. Nice sunny day today here, so in southern Illinois. Well, it's sunny here, but it's cold, and it's not nearly as nice a weather <laughs> as it's going to be a little bit further south, uh, like at Commodity Classic down in Orlando. Do you head down early for the show? Yeah, we're going to be going down, be there on Monday for the show, and it's going to be a it's going to be a great show there. Nice and warm, sunny weather in Orlando, and and really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's funny. I talk to a lot of farmers, Kitty, that are like, well, you know, I do need to be there a few days early. And I say, for what? And they're like, well, it's nice down there. (laughs) I want to go check things out. But there are a bunch of tours and stuff, too. I know, uh, and this is something for Brian and I, we were always working. We were always busy around Commodity Classic. But I know our dad always enjoyed going on some of the tours. What, What are some of the cool ones this year? Well, we've got a tours going to to uh, NASA, and we've got some uh, other uh, tours that are going in the area. We also you can get uh, uh, tickets through us to go to you know basically the uh, different uh, uh, family friendly locations and theme parks in the Orlando area. So we got that going on, and it's just it's just a great area to have a have a meeting or a commodity classic. Yeah, I was just talking, the first farmer that I talked to this morning, uh, he, he said, yep, I'm planning on heading down to Commodity Classic, and he already had a list of what he was going to do, and uh, you know, just excited to learn. He said it's absolutely one of his favorite days of the year. I think I think that's a pretty common thing that I hear from farmers going to Commodity Classic. For anybody that hasn't gone, the encouragement is, man, this is one of my favorite times of the whole year. Yeah, I mean, we're really excited. We've actually uh, this, just this morning found out we're over 8,000 uh, registrants currently. Uh, we're up 27% compared to last year. Uh, we've got 
probably the the, the largest uh, trade show of exhibitors. We're over 400 exhibitors are going to be there. Trade to the floors completely sold out. So really excited about that. And and we got some great things going on. We got 38 special Saturday night for the concert, which a lot of people are really excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You get to talk to a lot of really good farmers at Commodity Classic. It's it's something I've been to at least 20 of the <laughs> Commodity Classics because, uh, well, there's always good venues too. Like here, it's it's at Orlando. The convention center is fantastic there. There's tons of hotels and, and, of course, tons of things for the whole family to do. Yep, there's a lot of things going on in the area, and, and uh, you can register all the way up to be to when you come, so you can actually show up there and register there. I know we just opened up a uh, week ago, talked about adding some more hotels that are involved in it, so there's plenty of hotel space yet, and, and, and we're looking forward to everybody coming, doing a lot of networking, and then and, and talking to the exhibitors, and going to some of them learning sessions. Uh, there's There's learning sessions there, a little bit for everybody. Well, Kenny, thanks so much for sharing about this. Where where can you find all the details? Where can you sign up? I know that's one thing that I hear from guys. Man, I'm probably too late. You're not too late. You can still sign up for Commodity Class. You, heck, you can walk in and, and sign up if you need to. But uh, if you wanted to, to get more information or sign up, where do you go, Kenny? Uh, just go to commodityclassic.com on the Internet, or you can look up Commodity Classic on Facebook. We're there give you all the information where to go so but i'd suggest just commodityclassic.com and 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 you can get on there look at all the information look at all the activities and and register for whatever you're you'd like to come see outstanding well kenny thank you so much we really appreciate having you on today okay thank you very much for for inviting us on you bet i've got a friend tony wendler on right now down in iowa tony another foot of snow just what you were calling for (laughs) yeah is that what we wanted well, um, I, I'll take the moisture, you know, out of the, the grand that. scheme of things. And we don't have a lot of frost in the ground. So I think eventually as it warms up here, we're going to get some of that to move in. Uh, I'm thinking about soil conditions. So I'm getting a lot of questions from guys. And I, I know, I mean, if we warm up, let, let's say even later this month and, and into the first part of April, we could be right back to planting into dry conditions. I know it seems a little hard to believe when we got a couple feet of snow on the ground. You know, I'm, I'm, Looking at this stuff, thinking if it melts fast and runs off into my potholes, I'll be farming around those for the first time in years. <laughs> well, that could happen. It could. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, dry conditions, uh, you know, whatever you can do to uh, to not um, – I don't know. Sorry about that. I thought I was confused here for a second. Uh, oh, that's okay. The phone ringing. I, I – all of a sudden, thought you guys were calling back in. But anyway, um, with with dry conditions, uh, one of the things it says we come into is, is look doing things to conserve moisture. Uh, don't do the recreational tillage if you don't have to. You know, if it doesn't need it, don't do it. The next thing is that uh, an awesome thing for ours is we've learned with our inner shoulder on our closing wheel, when we firm that uh, seed to the bottom of the furrow. We're enhancing the wicking of moisture up and wetting that seed and getting seed started much more successfully than other products. So uh, that's uh, something in the the dry conditions uh, that enhances what's going on. And I know that's something that you're working on also, that uh, uh, you've got uh, some information coming out on uh, getting the the firmness in the bottom of the furrow and and, 
what that does in drier conditions. It, it is, uh, and, and so, we're actually been we've been talking about it a little bit on the radio. Been been uh, writing some articles about this too. I I think that's one of the biggest things that I see, Tony. That if if you said, okay, uh, what what is a suggestion that costs no money that you would would give to farmers in ways they could get higher yields. And one of the things I would say during planting season, and there's a lot of things you can do throughout the year, but during planting season, just getting out behind the planter and digging and seeing what this furrow looks like. Because tell me if I'm wrong, Tony, but when I go out to fields, what I see guys do is go right directly down the row and just look to see basically seed spacing. Uh, Okay, here's a seed and six inches later, here's a seed or whatever their spacing is supposed to be. But they can't really tell me. I say, okay, well, what's the firmness then around that? How did we do getting good seed to soil contact and, you know, what kind of downforce using all these kinds of things? Well, they don't know if they're just digging, looking for seed. I like to dig across that row and that way I can see, okay, how does that furrow look and how firm are things and, and what are we doing? Like you mentioned on the pro on the germinator closing wheel, that inner shoulder, we see that difference when you look at, at how firm things are going to be around the seed. You're exactly correct, and I and I'll say I was taught wrong the way my dad did it, the way others did it. Uh, you know, my neighbor had, had shown me some something years ago on how to. He was scraping with a board, uh, just scraping the stuff away from the top, and and I learned from doing the research just like you. Uh, your style's a little different. You dig across. I'll take a shovel and dig a hole right in the row, and I use yep. that hole yep. as a way to get rid of dirt, and then I will tunnel down that roll. Uh, and I say tunnel, but I'll dig a ditch out completely around that furrow and go down it, and I'm looking for is the sidewall destroyed, where's the seed placed. Once you get it, if you've got a good planter, you can say, okay, the next one is going to be so many inches down, and dig fast, slow down, dig fast, slow down. Uh, but uh, you'll be able to see how tightly that seed is, is in, encased, and I like to see a firm vein at the bottom and then uh, loose soil above that uh, once we get that plant started, it's got an easy push uh, to get to the surface. And uh, But you're exactly correct, and there are... But I, I just want to stop. I just want to stop. I want to stop you right there, Tony. Whenever someone tells me I'm exactly right, I'm like, yep, that's a great point to stop on. <laughs> Let's run with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just going to make sure Brian hears that one. We can maybe put it on a loop. Yep, Darren's exactly right. I, I kind of like Tony. That is a great way to start <laughs> off a Farmer Friday at our show. Hey, as we get closer to planning, we're going to have to keep talking because conditions are changing. I didn't even get a chance to ask you on uh, some of the grain bin things, but honestly, we can't even get to them. We got great big drifts this week, but. Uh, another week or two down the road here. We're going to have to talk about that again, too. Hey, I'll I'll just say it again so you can play it. Darren's exactly right. (laughs) Love it, Tony. Hey, have a great weekend, and and we'll talk to you again down the road. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, this has turned out to be a great show so far. I'm really enjoying this, but I want to hear from you, too. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from CNB. Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. 
Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. In 1923, Bertar Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall. 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall. The tractor that is the one for all. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. What can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to Illinois right now. we got John on with us. John, how's it going? Oh, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit lighter. Uh, I just came from my dealer and I just got done paying for my <laughs> post-combine <laughs> inspection repair. Oh, Holy boy. cow. So yes. We're uh, we're we're definitely not. Uh, let's just put it this way: we're not going out for steak and lobster tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's funny. It's funny you would say that because uh, I was at a marketing presentation. Uh, gosh, it's been four or five years ago, and and I remember uh, the presenter said, you know, if you do this and you do this and you do this, it's a home run. And what would you do if it's a home run? And 
And first guy pops his hand up. He said, I'd go grab a steak. And he said, yes, it's a steak dinner. And he goes, why is that with farmers? And I said, because we know how to eat well. And I agree with you. When you <laughs> when you got a little extra in the pocket, you want to eat well along the way. Hey, uh, talk about right. rotation of chemicals just a little bit. And, and uh, let's get into that discussion. What are you thinking about there? Well, I guess in a perfect world, okay, I, I'm a big I'm very, very concerned about resistance, okay? And, and we've got some good chemistries now, but at the same time, we, we've got some people out there that have been pretty foolish over the years. They've been using the same same program, same chemicals over and over again, and then they complain that their chemicals aren't working. Sure. So I, I guess in a perfect world, and let's just say you got a nice average year the last couple of years, is it, uh, from a stewardship standpoint, uh, how often do you think it's a good idea to rotate your chemicals out of the program? So, John, I'll answer that one, and I'll, I'll just tell you that it's nice to rotate chemistry, but in some cases there are only maybe three or four options to kill the weeds, and if you're already using three or three out of the four, maybe all four, then there is no more rotation. I, I guess what I always tell guys is, look, a, a, a dead weed can never become a resistant weed. So just make sure you kill the weeds. And I don't think that we can worry about 20 years down the road or, well, what's going to happen someday? I talked to a farmer just yesterday uh, who was all concerned about, you know, long term, we're going to run out of chemistry. I, I don't know that. I mean, all I can worry about is my own farm. That's all I can control. And I just want to make sure that I'm doing the best job here and I'm making the best recommendations for anyone else. And so we're just going to take it. So let's put it this way. If we say, oh, there's weed resistance and I'm worried, it, there are all kinds of things in this world we can worry about. And if we just start talking about weed resistance, I mean, we can scare ourselves to death real soon. So let's not do that. Let's just focus on, hey, this is what I've got. Here are my options. And let's talk very specifically to, to where we go from there. Because even like right now in the United States, water hemp and palmer pigweed is probably between the two. It, that's the the top weed out there. And I don't really worry about it because there are a bunch of options that we can still use to control that. And sure, we've lost some things. There are other things that are gaining tolerance. But here's one thing that I don't think many people are really counting on. And that is, if you've heard about the RNAi that is in SmartStacks Pro now, that's a complete change on how we're killing those bugs. So where I'm going with this is if they can somehow interject biotech into it. So now all of a sudden, oh, the BT is actually working again, or it's another mode of action that allows the BT to work, or it's another mode of action. So, hey, I'm not worried about either that's going to kill it or the BT is going to kill it, something. There are more things coming besides just chemistry. So anyway, I, I know that's not a probably a great answer for you, but I'm not real worried about it. We just have to make sure that we're using as many modes of action as possible. And 
if if we're having major issues with something, got to rotate to a different crop so we can use different chemistries. But even like in soybeans, this is part of why I tell guys, hey, I know you can use a group 15 pre, but why don't you use a yellow pre-emerge? Because you can't use that in your corn. And if you're rotating corn and soybeans, get the yellow back in there. That's the, you know that's just one little step, but that's one of the things we're always talking to people about. Okay. <laughs> so my point, don't get too worried, John. I think we're going to be okay. And I was joking with the farmer yesterday. I said, you know, I'm 54 years old. I only have 46 more years to farm. So I, <laughs> I, I, I think though, in my lifetime, we're still going to be okay. And they'll come with new technologies all the time. It seems like when we're headed down a dead end, sometimes, hey, something new comes around. I think we'll be fine. All right, okay. Well. No, I was just my my mild thought was uh, this program's been working with me for a while. I should just stick with that program then. Most likely, most likely, but my point here is just make sure you've got multiple effective modes of action. And too often now, guys... Yeah, three pre's that that you guys have been a a terrific advocate for. No, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But as I said before, I was just curious to see if if it would be worthwhile to switching it up to save those, because I just still always feel worried. You know, 20 years ago, we all thought that Roundup Ready corn was just going to be fine. Hit it once, and we'd be done with it. And obviously, that's not really the case anymore. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. I always like what you say. If it's dead, it can't germinate. Right. It can't sprout again. So yep. Yep. We'll be in good shape. So, all right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, John. Bye. Let's head down to Kentucky. We got Joel on with us right now. How's it going, Joel? Hey, how's it going, guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. You guys out in the field at all yet, or is it still too wintry down there? Well, it's been back and forth. Uh, about the only winter we've had, except for uh, I think it was back around Christmas, we had a little bit of ice-snow mix and some cold temps. But uh, since the first of the year, we've been back and forth. We've been in the field and finished up ripping uh, some soybean ground that's going in the corn and then uh, we actually got in the field first of this week and uh, sprayed some burn down on a couple of fields that are going into single crop beans that uh, <laughs> we're having a trouble with chemical resistant ryegrass. <laughs> yes. So what are you doing with that? Yeah. Now, I, we were talking to uh, North Carolina State, and they said they've seen as much as five-way resistance in ryegrass. Are, are you getting some of that over in Kentucky as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got these uh, These fields are to the south uh, along the state line, and we had to quit raising wheat on them fields. You know, like uh, Brian was telling the guy, you drop the wheat out and attack attack the ryegrass you know with some more chemistry because there's if you've got this ryegrass and wheat you've more than likely lost your wheat and uh now we've gone a few years and it just keeps getting harder and harder to attack these uh, particular fields went in the corn last spring and we attacked it with a burn down thinking that we plant corn and do a post and before it got corn planting time, uh, we started seeing regrowth, and we we sprayed it again, and still had to add some extra stuff when we did our post spray. And we still we kept it from sprouting up and making a head, but it, it wasn't dead. So uh, 
this year is going to be a different attack. It's time to go to single crop beans. So we did done this early spray. And I hate to admit it, but when the weather gets right again, we're actually going to drag the disc out and uh, see how much of it we can bury. Yep. And then turn around and do a pre-emerge spray, plant beans, and turn around pretty quick and do a post-spray, trying to get our layers of chemical on the ground like y'all was talking about to uh, catch it before it gets its head up good. All right, Joel. Now, normally when you're on, by the time you're done talking, everybody in our studio is like smiling, laughing. You're one of the most fun guys to be around most of the time. This is a little depressing. And I happen to have a couple of guests in the studio. One of them grows wheat out in the Palouse and in Washington, and he slumped in his chair. When you start talking about five-way resistant ryegrass, he yeah. slumped in his chair yeah. out there, Joel. So I don't know. I don't know if yeah. we can take any more of that, but uh, hey, good luck to you, Joel. It sounds like a lot of work to make that thing go, and, and I know you guys are oh, always on it. top of things. I know so. it. I, I was kidding with the crop consultant guy. I said, uh, when he said something about disking, I said, yeah, and the next thing you go say, is I need to go out west and get me a moldboard plow so we can bury it even deeper next time. So uh, now, now, now you sound like Brian with that plow. Let's bury her deep. Well, Joel, good luck to you. Thanks for calling today. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest-lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. 
status herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. It's snowy up here outside the Morton studio in South Dakota, but you know what? It's not snowy everywhere. It is Farmer Friday today. We'd love to hear what's going on here, farm. We're sure somebody's out doing some work out in the field, and if that's you, uh, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, we got Dan down in Kansas. All right, Dan, are you that guy? Are you out in the field? Are you outside doing some work today? Uh, actually, we are. We're outside. We've got a little skiff of snow on the ground, so we're actually cleaning up some hay fields and cleaning up sticks and limbs and doing a little bit of uh, burning off some limbs. So There you go. There you go. Getting ready here for spring, getting all those jobs done. When does planting start? Is it April that, that a guy gets rolling down there, or, or do you get going later on in March? Well, we'll actually plant some uh, like oats and barley here in the month of March. Uh, spring seeded crops, and then we'll start rolling the planters for corn and milo probably about the first of May. Okay. Yep. What does it look like this year for for milo? Is that going to be acres going to be up this year, or kind of steady, or or what? What's that market doing? Well, you know, the market's staying steady. Um, we're still a few cents back from corn in a lot of locations, but you know, I think given the extended drought we've had, kind of through western Kansas, Nebraska. Uh, into Colorado, Oklahoma, Texas, kind of where sorghum's primarily grown, I think we'll see probably an uptick in especially dryland uh, uh, sorghum acres. So I think maybe shy away from some other row crops and, and try to uh, uh, go for something a little more drought-hardy um, like like sorghum. Hey, talk to me about that drought tolerance. Now, obviously, uh, a sorghum, milo, a more drought tolerant crop than many others. We saw this year on our farm with, with corn, we had better drought tolerance as we had more potassium and more zinc. Do you guys focus on either of those things in Milo? Um, you know, it just, it depends grower to grower. It's, uh, you know, sorghum is raised so many different ways from solid seeded in, you know, 10, 10 inch rows all the way up to, you know, primarily we, we, we plant everything with a 30 inch planter. So we treat it very much like our corn. Um, you know, all of our fertility goes on with the planter and there's micronutrients and, uh, everything goes in with that. So any starter, any any nitrogen for that crop goes through our planter. It's kind of a, a, a pretty standard practice uh, in this part of the world. Sure, sure. Well, that's going to be interesting. And I know at Commodity Classical, there's a lot of talk about uh, what's going on in corn, but sorghum certainly a big part of the venue too. Uh, what, what would be the topic at Commodity Classic this year on sorghum? What are most of the sorghum growers going to be talking about? Well, I think everybody's just going to be talking about moisture. Um, you know, it's been uh, it's been really tough. We had a really tough year through the sorghum belt last year, and uh, but uh, still remained a fairly strong uh, yield. And so, I think that's going to be yield's going to be everything. We've got uh, you know good grain prices right now, not out of this world, but with good grain prices, you know, can we get the moisture to produce a, a record crop for this year? 
Yeah, always always an interesting topic. Like you mentioned, the the areas where sorghum's typically grown are uh, generally just a, a week or two away from a drought, and, and the last couple of years have been more than challenging, no doubt about that. Well, Dan, Absolutely. thanks for being on. Good luck uh, Good luck getting your stuff done, your cleanup work and all that, and, and hopefully it'll be oats and barley seeding before you know it. It will be. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you. You, you bet. Let's head over to Missouri. Got Danny on with us right now. How's it going, Danny? Hello. How are you doing today? Pretty good. All right. So we were just talking to Dan out in Kansas, and he said, uh, extended drought, that hasn't been a whole lot of fun. Um, how about over in Missouri? What are you guys seeing? What are you thinking going into this year? Well, where we are at our location, it almost looks like we're having a repeat of last year, which what we had last year, we were exceedingly we're starting to get rain and that's what happened last spring we started getting rain or i don't want to turn down a good rain and uh then it delays planting and then when planting's done in june it dries up and which i hope it does not occur this year but uh that's that remains to be seen anyway you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. I've just been watching some of the, the big picture weather things, and they're saying the La Nina is over with, and within a few months here we're going to start seeing things go back to maybe more normal conditions. So hopefully hopefully that means a great growing season for you guys. Well, exactly. But uh, one good thing that we've seen uh, that started in last half of 22 is exceptionally strong basis on our grain prices uh and and when i mean exceptionally strong like corn normally if you could sell option five over maybe ten over you were doing good and we were seeing a dollar i sold a dollar over here uh late in 22 and early of 23 and i've never seen that before bean basis has been just as strong uh but here lately now we're starting to see the Bean basis has really come down. It's probably went from 80, 90 over down to about a 20 over. And uh, corn basis, again, was a dollar over. Now it's probably down to a 50 over. Uh, so that's, that, that, that keeps you on your toes and never have seen those things in my life. And everybody I talk to has not seen that strong of basis either. So that's uh, really not for sure what to make of all that. I know we're on pace on our bean exports, our corn exports, we're a little bit behind, but trying to figure out on what to do for uh, for new crop. Yeah, Danny, we're looking at the exact same things on our own farm. We had good basis. Now, granted, not as good as your basis, but our basis levels were much better than normal, and that was fun. Plus, the crop price is pretty good to begin with. So, I'm not expecting that again, but we never know. I, I mean, there are still a lot of areas that have drought, and then there are other areas, like you were talking about, having too much moisture. So we don't know what this next crop is going to be. When you look at how many bushels as a country we have to produce just to hit the number we need, it's like, whoa, we got to have pretty good yields out there. If anything is subpar almost anywhere, then it's possible, again, we might have good basis levels. You might just have good crop price overall. So we'll see. I, I mean, Darren and I were just talking about this last week where we're we're to the point now we should probably start pre-selling some corn at least because corn's the majority of our farm. Um, I, I, I guess I'm worried in that typically when interest rates go up, the U.S. dollar gets stronger and exports go down. But the world is so dependent on the grain that we're producing, I don't know if the exports are going to go down. So 
I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, it's really I, hard to I, say. I would, I, would, I would agree with that, especially my call me crazy, but as long as the, the Ukraine war continues, I think we'll have good crop prices. Yep. I think when that res- gets resolved, then I think you can look for two years to be down. Uh, you know, you'll see crop prices come on down. In it's it's going to take them but, a little while uh, to rebuild that, Danny. There's a lot of infrastructure that got damaged there. Well, very, very true, very true. But, uh, you know, agriculture, I don't care where you're in the United States or where you're at, it, it always rebounds a lot quicker than any other industry, it seems like. I don't know whether it's because of the work ethic or what the reason is, but agriculture always has a, a knack to rebound a lot better than what was before uh, or faster than what everybody's timetable was. So that that's yeah. always a given, though, I yep. think. Yep. But uh, that I, I just didn't know what you guys are uh, – I mean, we're starting to see a lot more uh, spring tightening up on regulations on spring. We're now in Missouri. We cannot spray beans uh, with 2,4-D if they are blooming. And you oh, know how yeah. small beans are when they're yep. blooming, yep. and yep. that's that's going to be a game changer, I think. So. Yeah, because the bees. I mean, it, it's it's surprising though because I, I mean I get it when we're talking insecticide, but uh, herbicide. I I don't. There's some of the things out there I don't quite understand. We were having a discussion last night about regulations, and you know the government makes regulations, but the government doesn't consist of farmers like it used to. When our our founding fathers, they were all, they were, they were farmers, you know, people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. And I mean, uh, they, they had land and they farmed. And so they, they knew what was going on. But anyway, yeah, I get a little frustrated by some of those things. Hey, hey, Danny, we got to run, but uh, thanks a lot for calling in. Sure. Hope your year turns out great for you and uh, hope you have a great spring here. I hope you two do. Guys do too. All right. Well, nice talking to you. Thanks a lot, Danny. Appreciate it. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us a question or a soil test, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, 
please visit mortonbuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Applying nitrogen to my planter is an important part of our system. It's efficient and puts nitrogen right in the root zone. Hi, Greg Souter. 360 tanks make on-planter nitrogen much easier. Those 700-gallon tanks keep the tractor balanced, distributing weight evenly over the axles, and they give me great visibility. Plus, with a narrow transport width, mailboxes are safe. Take a good look at 360 Yield Center tractor tanks and see how they help boost efficiency at planting time. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD here in the Morton studio. Uh, I had a question that came in from Michael, and he said, I'm down in Texas, and traditionally we're growing irrigated cotton and corn. Now, in our area, unfortunately, there's not a lot of soil testing done, uh, but it's really starting to gain some attention, and hopefully someday I'll get up to one of your soils clinics. Um uh, we decided uh, to wade in this year. We picked four different fields. Three are subsurface drift, drip irrigated and one is pivot irrigated and are working with our local agronomist on the, the soil testing. I know you like small grids, but we're just getting started. So we, we did five soil tests per field. Uh, so I've included soil tests here that I got back from the lab. Um, uh, and he said, I've included the original PDF from the lab, but my Adobe app wouldn't open it. Well, guess what? We had trouble too. <laughs> we had trouble too opening one of these. Um, he said, just kind of curious if there's anything that jumps off the page on these or some ideas maybe to get us started. Yes. So two things jumped off the page to me. Number one, too much sodium. There was 4% to 7% sodium in, in many, many of the samples I looked at. That usually indicates to us when it's irrigated that the irrigation water is carrying sodium and and throwing that onto your ground. So the best way you can flush that out is typically with sulfur if you have good drainage. The challenge is your ground is pretty heavy from the way it looked to me. The cation exchange capacity numbers, uh, and I, I mean, you had a lot of tests here. So I'll just say in general, it was in the 20s. It was fairly heavy ground. So usually with ground like that, we talk to people about having drain tile below it. That way we can flush out the excesses. With sulfur, it's not leachable on its own, but when you put it together with something like sulfate, you can create a salt and that will leach away. So that was number one. That's concerning to me because at four to 7%, I'll promise you that sodium's already hurting your yield. Um, I also saw on here, and maybe, and maybe this wasn't right or 
maybe I missed something, but it says corn corn and 150 bushel yield goal. I would assume your yield goal is a lot higher than that in irrigation. And if not, I would like to know why. But the other big thing that stood out to me besides the sodium was there's no phosphorus there. There's like literally no phosphorus. So a lot of times we like having a hundred parts per million of phosphorus and you've got like two. So I, I mean, you, 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 you got to get phosphorus out there. Uh, now, beyond that, I don't know what kind of soil test was run here exactly. And the reason why I bring this up is manganese is really low. Well, in a high pH soil, which yours is, and it's mainly because of the sodium and, and excess magnesium you've got, um, then it could be a DTPA test and you actually have more manganese out there. But when I looked at the other micronutrients, I mean, your zinc's less than a part per million, your copper's less than a part per million. So those things need to be corrected. Now, I, I would say this, coming back to that drainage thing that I talked about a minute ago, when we see excesses on some of the leachable nutrients like sulfur, I, I mean, your sulfur levels are actually not not bad. I, I still come back to... Are, are you applying that much sulfur or do we just have a drainage issue out there? So most likely, if this was my ground, I'm probably putting in tile. I'm spending the money on phosphorus and some micronutrients and I'm going to have a yield goal eventually of 300 bushel plus corn if I can get enough water. Now, I realize that in your area in Texas, sometimes water, you're limited on how much water you can put out there. But if you have ample water, then what's holding you back? To me, I, I'd say it's potentially drainage and fertility. All right. Thanks for the question. And, and kudos to you guys for getting started on doing some soil testing. I, I'm confident it's going to help you on your farm. This one that came in from Jeremy up in Michigan, in southwest Michigan. And he said, hey, guys, uh, pulled some samples on a field that had some pond dredging done next to it, and they spread the material out on a couple of fields. I picked up the smaller of the two fields, thought it might have some abnormal levels, but, oh, my goodness, thought you guys would get a kick out of this sample. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, so he's got like 21 to 27 thousand parts per million of calcium, which puts him at 95, 96% in a base saturation potassium. Uh, over the last three days, we had Neil Kinsey in and we were talking about running a cation displacement test when your calcium levels are ridiculously high like that. And we've done that on some soils before. So basically the soil can't possibly hold that much stuff. And because our reading is this much, it's going to way over inflate your cation exchange capacity and then give you way too low of readings on everything else other than calcium in your base saturation test. So they run that cation displacement test to see how much of that calcium is actually free in the soil versus how much is attached to the soil. So anyway, our, yeah, I mean, when I look at this, this is a tremendous candidate for that. But I would also say, even if you don't run that, I can still tell you what's going on here. You've got no potassium out there and no phosphorus out there when we simply look at parts per million. Uh, zinc is almost nothing. I mean, sulfur is ridiculously low. So, you know, they're... You don't necessarily have to run a different test to find out what's real and what's not out of that calcium. But I'd just say we know it, it needs fertility 
and that's what I'm going to spend the money on. Now, a lot of people will band in that case. I'm still a fan of broadcast, but I totally get it if somebody wants to band their PNK on because you're going to get a lot better and faster uptake in year one. So, for example, if it was rented ground or you don't know what's going to happen long term with it, um, I have no issue banding PNK, but you're just you're really low. I mean, there's almost nothing there. All right, thanks for for sending that in. It's yeah, it's crazy some of the stuff that happens. Uh, get this from Chandon, and Chandon said, "Guys, uh, just curious if you can give me a few ideas on how to avoid black thrips in chili plants." Okay, so how you avoid thrips in pretty much any crop is about the same. Number one, you want to have really good nutrition in the plant. So do everything you can to look at soil fertility and get your soil in balance. Not just N, P, and K, but all the micronutrients. If you just raise a healthier crop, then typically it's more tolerant to thrips or anything else. But if we're talking straight out control and you say, well, look, that I'm, I'm doing everything I can on the fertility side, still not enough, use a seed treatment. Gaucho and any of the neonics are actually fairly good on thrips, especially early in the season. Otherwise, there are lots of foliar insecticides that are labeled. All right, get this one that came in from Joey, and he said, uh, I'm curious if you have any resources about nutrient removal in popcorn or some general guidelines. I don't see it on your Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. We're generally shooting for a goal of about 5,500 pounds per acre. That would be, if you figure a 56-pound bushel, it's roughly 100 Well, a lot bushel. of people figure popcorn at 65 pounds instead of 56 like corn is, but nevertheless, um, yeah, you're talking around 100 bushels. And I would just say, figure it very similar to corn. They will usually say nitrogen is slightly lower than for popcorn than what it is for for field corn. Um, the other thing here, he's mentioning less standability uh, and concern about less standability versus normal uh, dent corn. I just say with popcorn, it's typically got a smaller root. It uses just a little bit less nitrogen too, but a lot of people well, just like we do, or many people do in corn, they want to make sure they never run short on nitrogen. Well, if you get your nitrogen to potassium ratio off, I don't care if it's popcorn or field corn, you're going to have more lodging issues. So my assumption is that's why you're usually seeing that. So just make sure you do have good potash levels. You don't necessarily have to be heavier than field corn, but just make sure you have good levels. Okay, I had a couple of Questions, comments here that came in from Dennis. Uh, he's down in the Philippines working as a corn technician. Uh, he said a couple of things. You guys are talking about building topsoil. He said, first of all, uh, microbes are definitely important to build good quality topsoils, and that idea is sustainable. And the next thing he said is just with his irrigation, uh, that he's changing up his irrigation, especially on the sloped ground, uh, trying, trying to do the best he can for the topsoil, too. Yeah. Um so it, it said on here, pipe uh, pipes dug in a foot and a half to two feet deep. So I'm guessing uh, that's probably drain tile. Now, could somebody put in drip tape that deep? It's possible, but usually people aren't going that deep. So our assumption here is he's probably talking about uh, drain tile. But yeah, anything you can do to reduce erosion. So that's reducing tillage, putting in drain tile. I, I mean, when you have 
slope ground here in the United States, we'll call it highly erodible land, those steep slopes, we want to stop them from having the soil move down to the bottom of the hill. So it's been something we've been working on for generations now, and now we have all this great technology, equipment, and everything else, so we can make it happen, and you're seeing massive reductions in erosion here in the U.S., and I'm sure you can do the same. Hey, thanks for the comments, and thanks for checking out our show. We really appreciate that, too. Thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.